I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Oh, we're going to have a fun one with this. Uh, But before we get to that, as we are recording this, days before we've recorded this, uh, while this episode is about Star Wars, a different Star Wars thing dropped. That will be the trailer for The Book of Boba Fett. I think it looks really good. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I'm very pleased to see that uh, Ming-Na Wen all the way through it. <laughs> a lot of her in that trailer. It's, you know, for lack of a better term, it looks like it's going to be like The Godfather or Sopranos in space. Because we've got now Boba Fett as a crime lord taking over Jabba's, uh, Jabba's domain. And the, uh, you know, even though he's wearing a helmet, he kind of, you can kind of tell he has that kind of a poop-eating grin with, you know, like, speak freely. You don't like how I'm doing it? Tell me. (laughs) With that, almost like, I dare you. I dare you to do something about this. Yeah, and when The Mandalorian started, I said that I wanted them to leave Boba Fett alone. Maybe, maybe I can walk that back a little bit. He has his fans and, you know, he has been brought back a few times in the books and the comics and whatnot. But what they did with this character, I wouldn't necessarily call it redemption, but they they finally made Boba Fett as cool as everyone says he is. Well, yeah, that was the the thing is every time they had tried to do something with Boba Fett they kind of screwed him up even more mm. and that's what I was worried about I want I, I just didn't want them to keep messing him up and again I still haven't seen all the the cartoon Star Wars stuff mm-hmm. So then now you say Boba Fett and people will be like, he's not a Mandalorian and way, way, way to traitor and stuff. And, you know, and then you got all the prequel nonsense and all the, you know, and I kind of want to go like, can we just go back to when there was. You know, he had like two lines and he was Jeremy Bullock. And he wasn't dubbed over. And he was just a a cool guy that you saw for a little bit. And I didn't like that he had the ignoble end, but (laughs) (laughs) maybe you can deal with that. And, you know, in the books, he gets his way out and he's awesome. That. That's the Boba Fett I grew up with. You know, I I grew up with the the Boba Fett in the books and all that kind of stuff. 
this seems more like that to me. This trailer seems more like not exactly that, but in that same kind of vein. So now I'm like, okay, maybe we can maybe we can mess with Boba Fett again. <laughs> All right. Um, though not Disney. This is Marvel. We had another trailer the very next day for Morbius, the Living Vampire from Sony. Yeah, this is in the Sony Spider-Man universe. Which does sort of connect, maybe. And, you know, we keep getting deals. You know, Sony and and Disney keep making these deals about the use of these Marvel characters and how they may or may not connect to the MCU. So, yeah, we're counting it. (laughs) I'm still not sure that Jared Leto was the right person for this, but the trailer looks okay, and a lot of it feels like the comic book origins of of Morbius. It's going to be very confusing that we have a character named Morbius, and we have a character named Mobius. Well, that's always been the problem with the comics, though. There's so, especially in Marvel comics, there are so many characters that are always like one letter off yeah you know or like one one sound off and of course this has the 60s method of alliteration names michael morbius bruce banner peter parker yeah that was always stan lee was always so bad about remembering character names uh that he went with alliterative names just because he was really bad at remembering his own character names. So yeah, we get a a, a vampire story with this character of more of Morbius and possible connections to the other Spider-Man universes. We get a name drop of Venom. We get the Oscorp building. I believe that is the same building from the Amazing Spider-Man movies. And we get a picture of Spider-Man with the word murderer over it. But that looks a lot like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. But we also get what appears to be Vulture. I'm convinced that the only reason Michael Keaton is in this movie is because Morbius is a literal Batman. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people making that that joke, but you know, Keaton does like playing his his birdmen's, you know. Yes. Not I know bats aren't birds. Don't at me. I, you know, I'm going to agree with you on the Jared Leto bit. I'm not a huge fan of Jared Leto. However, Jared Harris is in this freaking thing, and I will always show up for Jared Harris. Uh, Matt Smith yeah, is in this trailer. Himself, yeah. Um, and I, I, I likes me some Matt Smith. Um, yeah, you put a doctor in this thing. I'm gonna, gonna show up for that. Um, I'm interested in it. I, I'm curious on how long they're gonna actually have him in the bat makeup. Could we see a quick second of him in the bat makeup? How, how much of that is actually going to be in the movie? Because, as we know in these comic book movies, celebrities don't like being under the mask the whole time. Yeah, and I really, you know, 
Stop being a wuss about it. You know, get in the makeup. They want their face being shown on screen. And they don't you know what? That's up. why Carl Urban gets all my respect. You know, you get him over there in dread and he's like, nope, I am not taking this mask off. And everybody was like, we love you, Carl Urban. <laughs> Be our leader. We will follow you anywhere. I am going to say that my one big question about Morbius is as a um, disabled woman who keeps trying to make friends with bats, how do, how do I get in on some of this vampire stuff? Because um, I've been trying that for years and it has not worked for me yet. And I'm getting really sick of this crap. You're going to go full, full. You want to go full vampire? Yeah, I have been trying for years and it has not worked out for me yet. I mean, the 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 the, the physical strength thing might be a bonus, but I don't know. Would you be able to handle the immortality? Well, as long as I'm not in pain, the, the immortality is fine. Yeah, I have never seen the downside to vampirism. It's like, oh, no, I can't go out in the sun. Like, when have you ever seen me in the sun? Seriously, I mean, like I'm I'm I already avoid the sun. I already dislike people. I you know, I mean, you've you've seen me absolutely demolish a rare steak. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like I'm already 98% vampire. Like I mean, I mean, we're getting a Blade movie, so there's that. That's your that's your counterbalance right there. Oh, whatever. Not. I'll fight a Wesley Snipes. <laughs> well, but he's not Blade anymore. We got a new Blade. <laughs> whatever. I'll fight that dude too. <laughs> uh, let's let's kind of move on to our main feature here. Star Wars: The Last Jedi. This was a request by our friend Tony Goldmark, or should I say, Tony Goldmark's randomizer. Yeah, uh, live by the rando, die by the rando. Uh, this one we would not have gotten to for quite some time. I feel any yeah. other way. <laughs> yeah. The last Star Wars main movie we talked about was The Empire Strikes Back back in May. The thing is, is that. Behind the scenes, we had been talking about how much I had wanted to talk about this. Yeah. Um, and we had even talked about should should we keep going in order or should we skip around? And I, uh, the hand was drawn for us. I would have preferred to do Force Awakens first, just to, you know, to 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 get the the re-familiar with the characters. But uh, I'm not against doing it uh, this way. Yeah, and honestly, this is, of all the Star Wars movies, this is the one that I wanted to talk about most. So, thanks, Rando! (laughs) (laughs) The most controversial Star Wars movie. Easily so. Yeah. And I've seen people physically come to blows over the prequels. Yeah, we were young when the prequels came out. We were just out of high school when I want to say, yeah, right after when um when no, uh, well, we, I don't know exactly when you graduated, but uh we were we would have been well, I was at the end of my senior year when the uh first 
prequel film came out, uh, when Phantom Menace came out, because I had to skip school to go see it. Uh, made a deal with my teacher. I had a very big um, test that day. Kind of made a deal with my teacher and my father um, borrowed the car, drove to a different city where a fan club I was part of was hosting kind of an all-day line party and stuff at a local theater. I mean, it was a whole big deal. They had kind of offered us, like, the theater had offered us um, some special, you know, stuff to come in costume and host and, you know, be part of their, like, come see it at our theater thing. So I was there in costume all day, skipped school, took tests early. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was a it was a big deal. So yeah, sen- senior year of high school, I think. For me. Yeah. Same, same. But yeah. yeah, for a long time there was the big fight over the prequels, whether they were good, whether they were bad. Uh, and it. This movie seemed to have been like, oh, this movie makes the prequels look good and uh, blah, and I don't necessarily agree with all of that, but yeah, of all the controversies in Star Wars, from Ewoks to Anakin as a child to uh, Jar Jar, Padme dying of a broken heart. The selling of Lucasfilm to Disney. This movie seemed to eclipse all of that. And it's like, this is... There's no middle ground with this movie. Either you like this movie, or this is the worst thing in the history of ever. And I don't... It does not deserve that kind of controversy, honestly. I mean, this is the movie that started the big anti-Kathleen Kennedy thing that's still going today that she's ruining Star Wars and look at this shirt she wore a shirt said the force is female and all of that it's like okay you're taking pictures out of context forming up your own story in your brain and because you need someone to blame for why you didn't like a movie Um. You you need to create a bad guy for this. I don't understand that. I I will say that it's it's not the origin maybe of that. Um the the Kathleen Kennedy hate has kind of been simmering for for a little bit longer than that. But it's certainly where it exploded let's Mm -hmm. let's put it that that way that's that's been been simmering for for a little while um it's been there in the um the indiana jones fandom for a bit and a little bit in the star wars fandom as well i'm not gonna lie um 
whenever anything would go wrong, somehow it always seemed to be let's let's find someone to blame, and somehow it always seemed to be her. Mm. But if you weren't paying close enough attention and you weren't noticing the pattern, I suppose, it was easy to miss. But Last Jedi certainly b- brought that to the forefront. And I think it was a lot easier to notice once you had had templates like, um, I'm just going to say it, things like Gamergate and stuff uh, where you had seen kind of how groups like this moved before. Where you went like, oh, okay, so that's how that works. <laughs> um, so it was it was easier to see the pattern um, by this point, but yeah, it, it 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 had been there for a while. This was not the first time that she had gotten that sort of hate. It was just by far the biggest. Mm-hmm. This film was kind of destined to happen in a way, I think. It's unfortunate that um, this particular group of people and this particular film was was when it it happened. Star Wars was always going to have to have a moment where it was going to have to try something different. Yeah, Force Awakens got a lot of criticism because it was too similar to A New Hope. So they had to try something different. And Force Awakens being what it is, I understand why it had to be the way it was. Because you need to get people comfortable. Give something that they're sort of familiar with before you take that left turn and go off the rail. Unfortunately, their way of going off the rail just split the fandom even further down than it already was. Well, I made the joke to a lot of people after Force Awakens that I wondered if you could consider Star Wars a form of Cardassian repetitive epic, which is a form of literature in the Star Trek universe that is is joked about in Deep Space Nine, where the Cardassians have a form of literature which is a family that does the exact same thing over several generations. So you will have a family that repeats basically the exact same plot, but over the course of several generations. You know, the same mistakes or the same, you know, heroic thing or the same, whatever. The exact same family doing the exact same thing over the course of several generations. That's the point of the that form of literature. And I thought, well, isn't that just the Skywalker clan? And when it started out in Force Awakens and it's like, oh, look, here's Rey and she's probably a Skywalker or something. And here's Ben and he's also a Skywalker solo with something. And, you know, it's the same family doing the same thing again. And look, the Empire is back. And look, it's the Rebellion and the Empire again. And blah, blah, blah. And the Force and the 
chosen one and the I'm already falling asleep. And, you know, and I was just like, isn't this just a Cardassian repetitive epic? It's the same chosen one family narrative. We're now in our third generation. And do I actually care? And honestly, is like, yeah, I like seeing lightsabers and I like seeing these actors. And I, you know, it's it's nostalgia. It's member berries, you know, it's okay. But honestly, except for the fact that, like, I was super happy that there was a girl Jedi now, because thanks. Mm. Um, I actually, I actually spent the entirety of The Force Awakens expecting that eventually that lightsaber was going to end up in Finn's hand and he was going to be revealed to be the one so at the end of the movie when the lightsaber flies past him and into ray's hand and it's like nope nope it's actually the girl i honestly burst into tears in the theater where was that when i was a kid i mean like a decade earlier there was ahsoka in the clone wars cartoon yeah but again i never wa- i never watched the cartoons and a lot and a lot of people didn't mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, growing up a girl Star Wars fan and being told we've had this discussion before being told, you know, girls can be Jedis. Girls can only be the princess. Yeah. And and I mean, that was a big moment for me as a, you know, freaking adult in my 30s. You know, it's like I wanted the lightsaber, you know, I wanted the force and like, yeah, okay, Leia has the force and, you know, whatever and all we we eventually get that that kind of retcon of like, well, you know, she was training and she, you know, we never really get to see it. If they had made the movies 10 to 20 years earlier, maybe. Yeah. And, and and that's, that's fair. But, but so that was the big thing about the force awakens. And that was really the only part of the force awakens that I was like, okay, that's the game changer. That's the part of this that you've broken the mold on. So we got all that with Force Awakens, and now we have to figure out how do we follow that up? You know, J.J. Abrams, who, you know, say what you want, and I could, about what he did with Star Trek. He's brought us a new Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But now we've got to hand that off to someone else. Yeah, that was a big controversy. Originally, the three films were going to have three different directors. And there was no single solitary vision of these films. It was just let the director do whatever. It for say what you will on Marvel, they at least know the direction that they're going and they have a plan. And whatever director they said, you know, you can do whatever you want in the films, but here are the story beats we need in your movie so we can tell the bigger picture story. And well, you didn't have that in 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 in, in Lucasfilm. Abrams was brought on to bring it back, but by the time you're making Last Jedi, they brought on Ryan Johnson, and the original idea with Ryan Johnson was that he was going to be there for the last two. So he was going to to do last jedi and whatever his version of nine was going to be so that idea of 
three different directors, at least by the time Last Jedi started filming, not exactly accurate. So they bring on Ryan Johnson, and Ryan Johnson was kind of an interesting choice because the big thing he had done before this was a film called Looper. Um, And then, of course, after he did Last Jedi, he went and did Knives Out. Which is an amazing movie. Which is just incredible. Except for Daniel Craig's accent, which may be a war crime. I'm not entirely sure. Um, So, fascinating and totally out of left field get for Star Wars. So, really cool choice, and I was really into it. And they brought him on to do the last two movies, so there was going to be a unified idea. The problem is, when the certain segment of kind of toxic fanboys absolutely lost their minds after seeing this film, Disney and Lucasfilm totally freaked out. Yeah, they went into panic mode. They got rid of uh johnson originally hiring uh colin trevorrow to do the third film then he had to drop out and then they brought in abrams again and abrams just went into a panic of like hey you know all that stuff from the last movie yeah none of that happened we're just gonna undo all of that we're we're just gonna undo everything and wipe it all out are you happy now do you love us (laughs) Yeah, do you love us? Do you love us? I will completely kiss your butt, um, even when it makes absolutely no sense. Please go to our theme park. (laughs) Yeah, please give us money and go to our theme park and love us again. We will do whatever you want. And it's one of the worst things (laughs) to happen to Star Wars, uh, in my opinion. To go back to Marvel for a minute, even even the decisions that the fans hate... When it comes to the MCU, they do stick to their guns and go forward with it. The yeah, Marvel's kind of like, um, screw you, we're Marvel, and you're going to give us money. So yeah. we oh, don't you, actually care what you think. Oh, you hated Thor The Dark World? Guess what? Here's Endgame, when that's now a plot point. <laughs> oh, did you did you not like us going uh, 80s in Thor Ragnarok? Here's more Korg. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't like that? Here's Thor with a dad bod. Like, <laughs> like, like, we're Marvel. We don't give two flying Fs here because you're going to give us money. <laughs> Which I'm, I kind of respect. And honestly, th- there was actually, because, you know, Dune just came out. And, um... Denis Villeneuve, who is the director of Dune, just had a quote where he was like, I just made a Dune movie that I wanted to see. If anybody else also wanted to see that movie, that's good, too. And I thought, yeah, that's why that movie ended up so good. He was just like, I am a huge fanboy for Dune. I put the stuff on the the film that I wanted to see as a huge raging Dune fanboy. 
if anybody else wanted to watch that movie, good for them. If not, do not care. And I thought, that needs to be about 90% of what a director does. 10% of it needs to be, would this be coherent if somebody other than me watched it? But 90% of it needs to be, is it something I personally would enjoy watching? And I think that Ryan Johnson was like, is this something that I would enjoy watching? And he had the 10%, would this be coherent to other people? And then I think J.J. Abrams, when he came in in the last movie, was 90% what will please other people. And 10% was will it make money? And 0% was is it going to be coherent or good or... By the Skywalker was damage control. That's let's call it what it is. It was damage control. But we're not here to talk about the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Well, um, you can, you can't not. I mean, I'm sorry, but you can't not talk about it because it's it's what this movie wrought. I actually read the supposed original script that was going to be the original vision. Uh, it was going to be called Duel of the Fates. And it looked like it was going to be a much better movie than what we ended up getting because it was so taking uh, so tied into taking what was in Last Jedi and expanding upon it. A lot of what that original idea still was in The Rise of Skywalker just added a bunch of we need to do damage control and make the fanboys happy. Here's a uh, Palpatine and oh uh, here's Luke Skywalker handing the lightsaber. Here's this this and this and this and this. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna skip this time going over the cast, all this, these cat, this cast, you know, this cast, we're not going to go over the cast. Um, it's Star Wars, you know, the cast. Yeah, but, you know, we do have to mention that this was the last movie that Carrie Fisher filmed as she did pass away, literally flying home from filming this movie. She was in in Rise, but again, that was reused footage from the previous two films. Mostly from this one, actually, yeah. Which adds to the incoherence of some of that movie. There was talk about whether or not they would reconstruct her face and stuff like they had. For um, Rogue One. For Rogue One. Um, In the end, they only did it for the younger scene. Uh, with her with her daughter Billy Lord uh, providing the body. Who is in this movie? Yeah. Who who is who is in all all three of the um the this series of mm-hmm. of films? Um, so seven I eight think, nine. I think from the reaction to CG Peter Cushing, this made them made that decision of yeah we're not gonna do this again. But yeah, so this is is Carrie Fisher's last and um we will talk a little bit about um two of the other cast members cuz we did have joining in this film Kelly Marie Tran Rose Tycho, yeah. Uh as Rose Tycho and unfortunately one of the things that came out of this movie was such a backlash to not only her character, but to her 
specifically as an actress of Asian heritage. And also just as a woman. Yeah, to the point um, where she had to leave social media entirely because she was just getting nothing but hate. Yeah, still to this day, she's never reopened her social media accounts. You know, she's, I mean, she's gone on to, to, to do, you know, like Ryan the Last Dragon mm-hmm. uh, for Disney. Um, and She's a Disney princess. You know, yeah, I mean, she's, she's a Disney princess now, but it's, it's been kind of hard going since then for her. Yeah. You know, let's not lie. Mm-hmm. To go back to Rise of Skywalker, it was the direct result of this movie that they completely reduced her role to almost nothing in the, in the next movie. She ends up being in roughly about a minute of footage, I think it is, in Rise of Skywalker. Something like that. She yeah, it's it's, it's awful. Yeah, um, and... It, she has been just the target of such awful racist hate and sexist hate and has been open of the fact that she had to go into therapy. Um, People attacked her for just everything. Her weight I mean, yeah. imagine attacking that beautiful woman for her weight. Uh, people are awful. She is not the the only one to have have gotten that. Um, John Boyega, as well, in this movie, you know, after after the um, the first movie, he had gotten such hate that kind of Ryan Johnson was like, oh, you want to you want to hate on him? I'll expand his role. Yeah. Um, And so Ryan Johnson had kind of worked to expand Finn's role, which I thought was awesome. And so Finn carries a lot of uh, the plot. You know, there's there's intersecting plots going on in this one. Um, he he gets a character arc in this movie. Yeah, which he kind of got less of in the in the Force Awakens, but in this one he gets more of a character arc and and grows. Um, and then he also kind of gets shafted in the same way. Come Rise of Skywalker, not as badly as Rose does, but yeah, apparently he was supposed to have a bigger role in the plot even showing that he was force sensitive and that all got cut yeah um thankfully thankfully they brought some of that back for the lego star wars holiday special where he actually has a lightsaber and is actually going through jedi training yeah but um but john boyega much like kelly marie tran um has been the target of a lot of online uh racist attacks and i mean you know in real life as well there is a bit of a rumor that after he participated in the black lives matter rally in london uh in 2020 
after after his speech there and his his support for the movement that he has been kind of subtly blacklisted and uh, labeled as difficult to work with and that he may not be uh, getting as much work as before. Again, it's one of those things when you're dealing with racism in Hollywood that people aren't always going to come out and, and straight up say it, although sometimes they do. But it's kind of interesting that he was the rising star for a bit, and then all of a sudden, yeah, ma- make of it what you will. But it's kind of interesting that uh, two of the big stars uh, of color have been faced with uh, major hate campaigns as a result of this this film. Meanwhile, Oscar Isaac gets to be Gomez Adams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good for him. Yeah, I, I like Oscar Isaac. I I want him. To I do like well. Oscar Isaac too. It's like uh, I'm I'm just from a perspective of you get the 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 Asian actor gets hate, the black actor gets hate, but the Latino actor is able to succeed. That's my I'm trying to think the 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 the, the it's not always fair. In these yeah, things. I mean, or or even logic, logical. Yeah, all of all of that background aside, let's talk about the actual plot and what people are are taking offense to and what it what it did so differently. Because I want to get into the first thing. That is the point of contention, and that is this first battle where uh, Poe leads this attack against this dreadnought. So Poe's job was just to be a distraction. He plays up, you know, the the phone call gag, you know, like, yeah, General Leia has a, has a message for your mother. It was just a funny scene. That whole thing is pretty funny. Did you watch this with the captions on? I did not. Okay, well, I I always uh, need to, if possible, watch things with the captions on. So, when, on Disney+, Plus, this is the official Disney+, Plus uh, captions now. When he calls in and he asks for General Hux, okay, H-U-X, the official name, when Poe asks for it, asks for the the person, it is captioned as General Hugs, H-U-G-S, as in, I will wrap my arms around you and squeeze. Hmm. But when the... Uh, Imperials, the First Order people, are talking to him. It is captioned as H-U-X, so you his think actual he, name. So just, I think it's trying to explain to um, deaf and hard of hearing people that this is a troll. Mm. That, that Poe is troll, and it's just another layer of the troll. And it's a great troll up to that point. Poe's thing, and Poe was never supposed to actually attack. His whole thing was, 
the resistance needs to escape and we need a distraction and that was poe and then he decides to hey we can actually take down this dreadnought let's do it even though leia's saying fall back come back to base we're getting out of here in any other star wars movie in any other movie like this period this is for lack of a better term the han solo hero spot where the bad boy gets to defy orders save the day and get commended but in this attack they lose half their fleet including rose's sister Paige. yeah when and I want to I want to say this is a very effective scene. You feel every single loss. Mm-hmm. This is not just like nameless, faceless people dying. The way this is filmed, you feel every single loss in the Rebel fleet. Every moment of this is just the worst sort of pain. Again, all would have been avoided. They would have gotten out. Everyone would have escaped. Full army, full fleet. If Poe had listened to Leia. But because he didn't, they lose half their fleet. They win the battle. But. Yeah, the dreadnought goes down. But again, they lose half their fleet in the battle. And justifiably, Leia demotes Poe. Slaps him in the face. You're demoted. Yeah, it goes from commander to captain, yeah. And that's the first moment of the change-up. In these kind of movies, sometimes Star Wars, you know, this is the whole thing. This is, uh, 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 that was a plot point with with Kirk in the in the Star Trek movies. Any kind of these kind of movies where you have the, 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 the renegade hero do it going against orders and winning the day they get commended in this one he doesn't he gets punished and for a lot of people who that was their first complaint it was like why was poe being punished he won the battle he should get commended well if he actually listened good soldiers follow orders as the phrase goes and gotten out of there they would have had a more a fighting chance later in the film Rather than constantly keeping running. A good soldier doesn't just follow orders no matter what. You know, we've we've talked about this before. Yeah. But the thing is, is not only was Leia's order an order. Leia's order was also correct strategy. Yes, the dreadnought is dangerous. But sacrificing half of your fleet for that one ship is bad strategy and we see what it does over the course of the film to the rebellion as a whole it's bad for their numbers it's bad for morale it's it's just all the way around i hate saying this but poe almost kind of works as a an antagonist himself in this movie oh absolutely and that's what a lot of people don't like because you want the bad boy to be the hero but in this way, the bad every decision that the bad boy makes only hurts the cause more. The thing is, is that, you know, we talk about Marvel a lot and everything, okay? And there's a similar story arc that goes along with several characters in Marvel. Like um, Tony Stark has a similar arc. Um, Loki has a similar arc. Mm-hmm. 
um, both the main uh, timeline and again in the Loki TV series with the the branch off variant Loki, you know, whatever we want to call him that we're following now, is that both of them have to learn over the course of their story arcs that there are, yes, it's you want to be the big flashy individualist hero but sometimes you have to be the guy that works with the team and sacrifices for the team and this movie is kind of the same thing for poe he's the like hey i'm gonna go in i'm gonna do the flashy maneuver and i'm gonna save all our butts and what happens you got hundreds of people killed dude yeah you crippled the fleet and by the, you know, by the end of the film, he's a different person. He learns his lesson, yeah. But at, at what freaking cost did you have to learn that lesson? I mean, that is a costly lesson for one guy. This is the thing I don't understand. And I've had arguments with dear friends over this. This whole storyline of Poe and Leia and especially Holdo, who maybe gets more hate than any character in Star Wars other than possibly Jar Jar Binks. Because of purple hair? <laughs> yeah. And as a purple-haired woman, I take offense to that. The thing with Poe, and why I say he's almost a, another antagonist in the film, is that a lot of the problems in this movie are because Poe doesn't listen. As we mentioned, he was demoted. And there, the big complaint is, oh, why didn't Holdo tell Poe of the plan? Because Poe got demoted. He is no longer a senior officer. He's no longer a high-ranking official in the resistance anymore. He is no longer in the inner circle, as it were. So he doesn't get to hear the plan. His job is just to trust the leadership and just go and maybe re-earn that trust. But again, because bad boy needs to be the hero, people hate that. There, It even says when he comes up after Leia has been injured in the attack... Um, and she's, you know, off in the, the med bay or whatever. Uh, Poe comes up to Holdo and he's like, you know, hey, whatever, get me in on the plan. And Holdo's like, uh, I'm sorry, who are you? And he's like, you know, Commander Dameron. And she's like, uh, no, I think Captain Dameron, because Leia's last thing was to tell you to go, you know, toss yourself out an airlock right and poe's response is yeah 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 commander captain whatever you want to call me you know tell me tell me what you're doing and i always am like wow no shut all the way up poe that's not a whatever you want to call me that is the title you have earned and more importantly, the title you have just got your butt kicked back down to because you couldn't respect Space Mom. And because of that, Space Mom got knocked out into space. 
yeah, not only did you just kill, like, 400 people or something, you almost got Space Mom killed, so sit down. And that's another thing people hated, is that somehow Leia can use the Force to fly through space, and it's like, you really didn't, you really thought Luke wouldn't teach her anything? Okay, there's only a couple of extremely minor things I would change about this movie. Mm -hmm. And they both have to do with this particular storyline. One is that I would have shown Leia using the Force prior to the scene where she uses it to bring herself back into the ship. Mm. And I would have shown it in her dressing down of Poe, like her interrogation and dressing down of Poe. Mm -hmm. I would have kind of mixed my two minor beefs with this movie together. Um, There's a bit in in the film where the reason why their ship is attacked at all is because the First Order can now track that little homing beacon they're using with Ray through hyperspace, which shouldn't be possible. This is never explained. It's just, oh, the First Order can suddenly do that now. And there's a little bit where Rose goes like, well, theoretically it could work. if, And she's got a little moment with Finn where they're like, oh, well, you know, theoretically the science could work out if you technobabble the thingamabob and the whatever. And that's kind of all the explanation we get. It would be better if there was a spy on board. And due to Poe screwing up so badly, they have reason to believe it is Poe. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Poe keeps not following orders. Poe keeps talking back to Leia. You know, okay. It's not Poe, but we do have reason because he keeps doing things like leading an insurrection on the ship to think that maybe Poe is the bad guy. All right. It's revealed to be some other no name, somebody, whatever. Okay. Hux is playing both sides. It can work into the thing in Rise where Hux is, you know, turning, you know, against the First Order trying to be a double agent, whatever. I think that makes more sense than something, something techno babble. They can just track us now. Okay. And it gives them more reason not to trust Poe because Poe's actions make sense in the kind of bad boy. This normally works out in a action movie thing the audience is primed to expect his actions to work out but in a real world situation they probably wouldn't nope he probably would have he probably would have died in the same battle yeah he probably would have died and he would have gotten a bunch of people killed which is what we see so it, it would also make sense for the resistance to suddenly not trust him they're tracking us through space you're acting weird it's obvious we have a mole and it's probably you So I would mix that plot line with there needs to be an interrogation of Poe Dameron, right? He's acting weird. We've got a mole. That's when you see Leia using the force. You know, she pulls a chair over. Sit down, Poe. 
you know, maybe, you know, she. I can see that. I can see that scene play out. She pulls a, a chair with the force. Like, how, how did you do that? That's not important right now. What's important yeah. is. That... <laughs> yeah, you know, but we see little things that proves that Leia doesn't have to wander around showing off all of her, you know, tricks. But she hadn't been sitting on her butt for the past, like, 20, 30 years either. Leia has always been more subtle in her tricks of command, you know? And maybe her ability to use the Force has, you know, she uses it more for interrogation or figuring out the truth or whatever. I mean, we already saw Kylo Ren using that same sort of thing in the movie before. so. Why not just go ahead and be like, okay, she's already got some of the same tricks. And then it doesn't come out of left field when she uses it to pull herself back in the ship a scene or two later. Plus, it already proves why she trusts him when she's back on her feet. Like, oh, no, no, no. I already knew in that interrogation that you were telling the truth, but we got interrupted. But it leaves the audience not quite sure if Poe is a bad guy or not because he's still working against Holdo. He still does the mutiny. Is he telling Finn and Rose the truth or not? You know, it leaves us in the dark, but then Leia can come back and clear him later. It's, you know, it it just clears up a couple of things. But honestly, that's my only quibble with the, the film. You know, you just add, like, one minor little interrogation scene, and then you have, like, somebody in Holdo's inner circle or something that came on board with her is actually, like, a mole. The thing is, is when he goes up against Holdo, I don't understand why anybody takes Poe's side in that fight other than just like straight up sexism. I there's a lot of I mean it's there from a perspective of certain parts of the movie, there is a I can see the people on that ship, they've they've worked with Poe, they've flown with Poe, they fought with Poe. So and they fought alongside Leia. So now here's this new person, new to them, that now they don't trust because they don't know this person. Well, no, I mean, I'm not talking about on the ship. I'm talking about in the fandom. Ah. If you're watching this film and you have all of the pieces of the puzzle in the film, why do you not go, Poe, you are an idiot, and the only reason this is going to work out for you is because you have main character plot armor? As I said before, the purple hair. Apparently, they hated Holdo the minute she came on screen with purple hair. How do you not like Laura Dern, though? Come on. <laughs> but even then, I mean, it's just been a, a seem, seemingly just this overarching thing with certain people that unnaturally colored hair somehow makes you a worst person. I am just going to say that I'm glad that by the end of the movie, Poe has kind of learned his lesson. Mm-hmm. To the point where Leia is finally like, okay, I think you finally understand what it means to lead. The Poe at the beginning of the movie, by the time you get to the end of the movie on Crate, would be like, 
no, everybody man the guns. We've got to just stay here and go out in a blaze of glory. And instead he's like, no, we've got to salvage what's left of the resistance. You know, and Finn, uh, Finn almost starts acting like Poe at that, at that end. He wants to sacrifice himself. He's ready to fight. And it's Poe that says, no, no, no. He's here for a reason. He's a, he's a distraction. Let's get out of here. Yeah, he understands at that point what what Luke is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's a good character arc for for Poe. I just kind of wish he didn't sacrifice like two thousand people to do it. You know, like. Mm-hmm. But also Poe's plan. If Poe had just not done the plan, not just the the the, the attack uh, the attack at the beginning of the film, but his plan in general of sending uh, Finn and Rose to cancel Bright to get the hacker. Cause it, in, in the end it is the hacker. It's DJ that sells them out. Yeah. Let, and, let's, let's talk about that storyline. Cause that's kind of, there's, there's like three intersecting storylines here. So yeah, we have Finn and Finn, uh, Finn was injured at the end of the last movie. We see him in the beginning of this movie, which takes place relatively quickly after the first movie, uh, the previous movie ended, because he's still in the recovery chamber. When he finds out what's going on, his instinct is to steal the beacon, find Ray, and make sure Ray is safe, because Finn got a crush. Yeah, Finn, Finn caught some feels. I am a little, I will say that the one thing that I kind of don't like about well, this movie, but especially Rise of Sky- uh, Skywalker, is how dedicated they were to being, like, to just slathering Finn and Poe in all of the no homo. Yeah, that was a big thing with Finn. We are, our friends wrote a song about Finn and Poe. Uh, yeah, the the library bards, uh, yeah. who are good friends of ours, wrote a song about Finn and Poe having a, a relationship. Yeah, so they spent they spent two movies trying to be like these are the most hetero men in the galaxy. <laughs> How many love interests can we throw at these two very hetero men? One um, of those love interests you don't even see her face. <laughs> Yeah, but she's a woman. Trust us, she is a woman. She is a very female woman. For this is a hetero man. Um, yeah. So, uh, that this is yeah. Finn just has to get back to Ray, uh, and tell her about all of his feelings for her, but. He runs into the complication that Rose is there guarding the the escape pods because people keep trying to escape in the escape pods and Rose is having none of it. You are not deserving the resistance. Yeah. And she, uh, first of all, she goes fangirl because she finally gets to meet Finn. 
and yay! Uh, and then she realizes that he's trying to get into the escape pod, and she zaps him. She tases him. Yeah. Uh, which is a very funny scene. I really like that scene. Yeah, I'm just I'm just ex- uh, expecting the escape show. Make sure no one leaves, cause yeah, that'd be bad. And you're inspecting with a full packed bag. <sighs> Zap. <laughs> I respect Rose so much because on the one hand she is an absolute fangirl, and the second she has that "Don't meet your heroes" moment, where she realizes like. Well, crap, you're not the man I thought you were, and you are about to turn deserter. She is immediately like, nope, I am not having this. No hesitation. You're you're down, buddy. You know. Yeah. They figure out the thing with the tracker, and they figure out that, well, if we're on this one ship, and we fiddle with this one thing, then we can buy us just enough time for the Resistance to get away, and save all our butts, and uh, but it involves going to a casino planet to get a hacker, hacker. Yeah. and therefore, you know, we have to go on a side quest. Everybody hates this side quest. Not everybody. But this is another thing that people have an issue with in the film when they complain about this film. Is... Oh, Canto Bite. We we go to Canto Bite. We spend so long in Canto Bite. Way, 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 way. I think the Canto Bite sequence, while there are bits you could trim, is one of the more important sequences in a Star Wars film. I am one of the people that would have not a, that originally was not a fan of the Canto Bite scene, but has since grown to appreciate it. Because it gives a lot of growth to Rose as a character. I think the possibly the most important line in the entire film is in this sequence and also the easiest to miss. Finn stands there and he says, wow, it's all so beautiful. And she says, look closer. And that one line, and and then he does, and then immediately, it's not twinkling lights, it's animals being abused, and it's slave children, and it's the wealth that comes from selling weapons to not only the bad guys, but the good guys. You know, it's like, you don't, these people don't want the war to end, They and they don't care if it does or who wins or how many people die or what it takes to get them there that's a little little bit on the nose in reality though especially you know considering everything how we have the rich and powerful playing both sides government selling to both fighters both members of both sides of the war just to make more money but you know We talked about this when we talked about the very first Star Wars film. And we talked about people complaining about this movie. And we talked about people complaining. It's too woke. Star Wars has gotten too woke now. And we said that George Lucas talked about what made him 
make the first Star Wars film and that the first Star Wars film was his treatise on the Vietnam War and the fight between the Americans and the Viet Cong. And guess what? Luke and Leia weren't the Americans. The entire time you've been rooting for the rebels, that ain't the side you've been rooting for. You, you just, you were too young to know it as a kid. That's the thing is people like Ryan Johnson, he understood that. <laughs> you want to talk about like, when did Star Wars get too woke? Like, well, congratulations. Ryan Johnson understood Star Wars. As uh, as the kids are saying these days, he understood the assignment. Yeah. Ryan Johnson looked at looked at George Lucas and he went, oh, I, I got you. I got the assignment right there. Thank you, Professor Lucas. I got you. But this also plays into our, our hacker, DJ, which up until the research for this episode uh, is not actually his name. It's actually his credo, which is don't join because he sees both sides of the conflict as equally corrupt he will aid one side when it fits him, but he sees both sides as just as bad as the other. Uh, the only way to win the war is not to join it. And that's why he's probably one of the worst villains. I just, I hate this guy. He has no morals, but that's what's kept him alive. I think that there's a thing of, you know, yeah, he'll survive, but I'm not sure that that's always a good thing. I don't know. It's if you ask me, I don't want to be that guy. But there's a little bit where they run into a bunch of slave children and Rose talks them out of giving away their position by revealing the Jedi symbol in her ring and saying, we're, we're with the resistance. Can you help us? And the children help her. We actually see the same child wearing the ring at the end of the movie. Yeah. And so that you see that the resistance and also the, the symbol of the Jedi under Luke Skywalker, uh, which is very important, very different than the earlier Jedi has become a symbol of freedom to the downtrodden. They make it onto the the First Order ship to try to do their thing. Um, let's go meet up with, with Ray and Luke, because that's kind of the third of our interconnecting stories. Force Awakens ended with Ray meeting Luke Skywalker. We pick up right at that moment, right at the ending of the last movie, and we have the next big change of the fans didn't like. Luke throwing away the lightsaber. Which, honestly, I freaking loved. I, I laughed. laughed so hard. Man, I laughed so hard. You know, which just, you know, Ray was like, I came all this way and you're just going to chuck that thing. And I just loved Luke's kind of curmudgeonly like, yeah, screw you, screw the lightsaber, screw the Jedi. All he wants to do is die in peace. But he knows that he's been made into this big hero figure. He even says, you know, what do you want me to do? Uh, go down with my laser sword and stare down the First Order? 
Luke calling it a laser sword also got people upset. Despite the fact that Lucas himself has called it a laser sword. Yeah, and uh, honestly, didn't Obi-Wan call it that in one of the earlier movies? I saw your laser sword. Only Jedis carry that kind of weapon. But the thing is, is that, honestly, I don't see how how Luke in this is terribly that different from Yoda when we first meet him, except he's missing a bit of the humor. Uh uh, I think, and that was another, again, one of the major things people hated was they ruined Luke Skywalker. And I think a lot of it comes to their Luke Skywalker is not the Luke Skywalker of the films. Their Luke Skywalker is the Luke Skywalker of the books, where he really is the legend and the hero. When Disney said that those books were no longer canon, as it were, that threw a lot of people out of the ranches because that was their Star Wars growing up in a time where there were no movies. We, they had just the books. I mean, and that the, was my Star Wars. You know, it was Luke and Marjade and their little kid Anakin and their little, I mean, you know. And, and that's fine. Luke had to go and kill Luke. And yeah, I mean, yeah. It's like, yeah, Luke with two U's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's... I read all that crap. I know. I was there. So, like, when they see that this Luke Skywalker is not the Luke Skywalker that they built up in their minds and their hearts, oh, it's all of a, it's ruined. He's this grumpy old man, and it's like, so was Obi Wan, so was Yoda. At some point, you just get jaded with the Force. We talked about Ryan Johnson understanding the assignment. Yeah, that's exactly what this Luke is talking to. You built me up as a legend. Do you know how tiresome that is? Nobody can live up to that. It doesn't matter what Luke they put on screen. It it really doesn't. He was always going to disappoint somebody. Honestly, this story of what happened to Luke and how he ended up on the island and what happened with him... And his nephew. This story makes so much sense to me. Of course this is what would happen. I mean, if you had lived through the trauma of Darth Vader, wouldn't you be terrified that it was going to happen again? Of course. Oh, Luke would never ignite his saber in anger. He would never have that moment of weakness. Why? Why would Luke never have a moment of weakness? Everybody has that moment of weakness in their life. It just happened to be at that moment, seeing that Ben had the potential to be the next Darth Vader, he panicked. And in every person who has ever played Would I Kill Baby Hitler? I mean, seriously. That is that is the actual would you kill baby Hitler moment? You're telling me you wouldn't even think about it, not for a second? You're right. And and that's that's the moment that, that Luke is going through, right in that moment. And he says that he sees it with a force premonition. It's not just a, is there a possibility he could be? 
he saw it with the force. He sees what Ben Solo will become. The only part he didn't see was his part in turning Ben to the dark side. And when he finds this out, that it was because of him in that lapse of judgment that he can't he can't live with himself in society. He secludes himself. He cuts himself off from the force. He just wants to seclude himself on his island and just die a bitter old man. And everyone just leaves him alone and let the legend of Luke Skywalker die. I mean, that has to be the worst feeling is going from that moment of, oh, my goodness, I could kill baby Hitler and stop him from being baby Hitler. And then realizing that the knife in your hand is what created baby Hitler. I mean, holy crap. Hopefully anyone with a conscience would be like, nope, that's it. I am skipping off to Porg Island and never talking to another human being again. I want to talk one moment about the one change that I hated in Rise of Skywalker. Ray from nowhere. How Ray was just this regular person from a no-name planet who somehow can use the Force. I like the fact that she was Rey from nowhere. I hated that she became Rey Palpatine because it added to something that a lot of kids could latch onto is that anyone could be a Jedi. Anyone could be the hero. Instead of, no, it's going to be these specific people and anyone related to these specific people. That's the only way you can be the hero. The best thing to me about this film was what I like to call the democratization of the force. And Ryan Johnson worked really, really hard to put that in. It shows up with Ray, nobody from nowhere, Ray, which I loved the moment that that comes in with the scene between, you know, kylo ben whatever and and ray of you are not part of this legacy you are some random person who also happens to have the force you were very powerful you were very but you're not kin to me i wanted to stand up and cheer i was like yes i don't want her to be a skywalker i don't want her to be you know a solo or palpatine or a anything i want her to be nobody from nowhere yeah and the other part of it was those little the the little children on cantabite because that's the blink and you'll miss it moment at the end of the movie where the little boy is able to use the force to grab the broom and holds it like a lightsaber at the end how many kids have done that have just held a broom or a, a a cardboard tube as a lightsaber. Oh yeah, it's like a stick. Yeah, I don't want it to be the royal family of Skywalker and Palpatine and you know whatever else. I I I say this a lot. Like a hammer, right? A hammer is a tool. 
A hammer can be used to build a house. A hammer can also be used to bash in a skull. It's the same hammer. So, to me, the force is like a hammer. I'm not sure it has a light side and a dark side so much as the intent of the person behind it. It can use to be to build or destroy. Like, we see Yoda use force lightning in this film. That is a thing we have only ever seen a Sith use up until this moment. Mm -hmm. That's a dark side power. In his force ghost form, which we've never seen that happen either. Well, yeah, he uses it. but, But that means that, but he doesn't use it in anger. He doesn't use it for an evil purpose. You know, he uses it to destroy a tree, but he does it while laughing and he does it as a teachable moment. And he does, you know, it's a hammer. All of the all of the powers that are shown have constructive and also destructive uses. It just depends on on how you use them. And the fact of, you know, it's Luke's freaking out. That is the issue to me you know he starts to teach ray about the force you know i love the scene of like reach out and she reaches out with her hand and he's like oh this this child you know (laughs) he like tickles her hand with the little like palm frond or whatever like she's like i can feel it i can feel it and like (laughs) i love him just messing with her like that's a very yoda thing to do i'm (laughs) I like I like Luke kind of doing the the Yoda bit. It's really uh love it. But when when she actually starts to connect to the force and she's like I can feel a place under the ground and you know it's calling to me and all that kind of stuff. Luke absolutely loses his mind like no it's dark and you went straight for it and you know you didn't even hesitate. How dare you? And that's the dark side and blah blah blah. But the thing is is why yeah. don't just yell at her ray had questions and the dark side was going to show her the answer and that's what luke had the problem with is that you she went to the dark side because the dark side was going to give her the answers she couldn't somehow couldn't find the answer in the light well maybe luke start giving some answers don't just sit there being all you know weird and nitpicky about things you know start answering stuff the thing is is that luke would have never gone down the path that he went down and we talked about this when we talked about the previous movies if obi-wan and yoda had just been straightforward with him and instead of learning from that luke is making the same mistake over again from a certain point of view from a certain point of view he is correct that the jedi need to die as in their teachings needed to die he was doing the same thing the jedi were doing he were he was taking these students away from their parents he was teaching presumably under the same kind of jedi code which i have always kind of disagreed with if you want the Jedi to be different, put the Jedi among the people. It was why the Jedi never really saw the the rise of the Sith before, is because they didn't know what was going on. 
they were two up their own rear ends, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I wanted to see what was going on and I loved that Ray immediately saw how full of crap Luke was. I still see good in in Kylo Ren in in Ben. I know that he can eventually turn. I have faith in him. I have faith in the Force. And if you won't help me, then he, then you are not the hope of the universe. He is. Likewise, Ben has the same visions. He even says it. But in his vision, Ray turns and joins him on the dark side. But the interesting thing is, is that neither exactly happens. They both turn and kind of meet each other in the middle. That is one of the few things that they carry over into the next movie. Which is one of the few things that I kind of liked that they didn't completely. This actually, go, this actually goes into uh, my next subject here. The dyad. That Ray and Ben are the fourth dyad. Never really explained in the films what that is, but there's some other materials that the short version is soulmates through the force. Not necessarily romantic soulmates, but they are partners within the force that when they team up, they could be an unstoppable team. And we see that in the movie where they're fighting together. Yeah. And that is a well choreographed fight scene. Like they can sense each other's movements and move in such a way to help the other. You know, Ray t- tosses the lightsaber enough so ben can catch it and use it on on the guard it's yeah can can we talk about the death of snoke yeah let's go let's go for snoke i want to talk about the death of snoke because this supreme leader snoke and and you know which you know shout out to andy circus because andy circus is a legend but the setup of the like ooh, who's the new Emperor Palpatine-like creature, you know. And then Ryan Johnson comes in and is like, nah, doesn't matter. (laughs) He was just a plot point. We're going to kill him off. And that pissed off people because, oh, we never found out anything about Snoke. We never found out who he is or why he is. Which leads to, oh, he was a clone of Palpatine. Yeah, when they decided that, like, uh, yeah, Palpatine's alive again. Don't question it. Then it became like, oh, Snoke is a Palpatine proxy or whatever. Then they, you know, go on that Ray's father is a Palpatine clone. Everything's a Palpatine clone. Palpatine's, Palpatine's as far as the eye can see. I made Snoke. Yeah, I. But I liked Johnson's original plan, which was apparently just to be like, can we get rid of this thing? Because it does not make any sense and we do not need it. (laughs) Which I really liked. And I love how his death is set up. How. Ben uses 
knowing that Snoke is in his mind, he uses that against Snoke. Oh, he he knows who his enemy is. He's turning his lightsaber to his enemy, and he and he's ready to strike. <gasps> yeah, perfect. And I, yeah, it was such a good setup, and it's like Luke's gap in the vision, mm-hmm. and it's like both Ray and Ben's gap in the visions mm-hmm. that you can see the broad outline, but some of the details are fuzzy, which I kind of I kind of like that there's all this. The broad outlines are set, but there's a tiny bit of wiggle, wiggle room, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. When that fight scene started with Ben and, and Ray fighting side by side, I don't know about you, but my theater burst into tears. Because it was just a cool moment. Yeah, it, it was so well done. And her kind of spinning on his back and the... They were... I mean, swapping this... lightsabers and... That is the key of the dyad. These two were perfectly in sync within the force with each other. Yeah. That I, it... I, I loved the way. I don't know who exactly um, was the the fight coordinator on this, but oof, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And as cool as the fight scene is, it's the aftermath where they have to make the choice now. Does Ben go with Ray or does Ray go with Ben? To go back, uh, to to fill this out, to go back a bit, Kylo Ren, Ben, has a great moment here where he says, you have to bury the past. Kill it if you have to. And that makes sense if it was still Ray from nowhere. Like, you don't need to know what happened to your parents. You forget about them. They abandoned you. Why don't you forge your own path? And I will also bury my past. My, I will bury the, le- the legacy of my father, my mother, my uncle. I will forge my own path. And together we can form our own path, our own way. And once Ray figures out that what Ben means is we are going to rule the galaxy in the first order, she turns from him. Ben had a great moment there in that in a way, he is right that you cannot let the past decide your future. You have to you have to mark your own path. But the path that Ben wanted was to rule in the first order. That's the that's if he had said anything else in that moment, maybe Ray would have gone with him. But. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. You are looking at two people who want, ostensibly, the same thing, which is to move away from the past and forge a new path. Ben wants to do it by completely forgetting and erasing the past. So what does he do? It's that old saying. Those who don't know the past do what? Doomed to repeat it. Doomed to repeat it. So what's the choice he offers her? It's the same choice that Vader offers Luke. Come with me and we will rule the galaxy side by side. Because he doesn't he doesn't know the past. 
because he's trying to kill it. He's trying to get away from it. He's trying to forget it. But what does Ray do? She takes the books. She protects it. But she doesn't put so much stock in it. She's not beholden to the legend of Luke. She still tells him, like, hey, if you're not willing to to come do the right thing, then I don't need Luke Skywalker. I'll do it myself. You know, if you're not willing to do the right thing, if the Jedi are not willing to. But she still sees value in protecting the knowledge of the past. The Jedi knowledge is worth protecting just to know our history. Even if we don't repeat it and follow it and, you know. She respects her elders, but that doesn't mean that she needs to, you know, she wants to know who her parents are, but that doesn't mean that's her destiny. Yes, they they both want to get away from their past and forge a new path for themselves. Just like, you know, she wants to leave the planet she's on and get out and have a new adventure. He wants to leave his family and get out and, and make his own way in the galaxy. You know, it's a similar story. But she sees the sense in understanding and protecting the knowledge. Whereas he wants to wipe it away. So she's able to keep from repeating the mistakes of Luke, the mistakes of Leia, the mistakes of Vader, all of them. Whereas Ben is not. He's doing the exact same thing that his ancestors did. Yep. You're right. And Which I, leads... I kind of like that understanding, you know, in the Which... in the writing. Which leads to that tug of war of the lightsaber. And the shattering of the lightsaber. Which, symbolic on multiple ways. It's the shattering of the Skywalker legacy. And it's also the the, the re-splitting of the force between light and dark. Which, again, I did not like how they repaired that lightsaber in the next movie. I would have preferred it be destroyed. And have Ray make her own lightsaber at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I... it's a it's a criminal that we only see that yellow lightsaber for the end of the film. Yeah, I I do I I would like a you know more lightsabers is always better. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where our three stories convene. We get uh, Poe. Finally understanding Holdo's Holdo's thing, and we're going to make the escape onto the ship, and we're going to fly under their radar, and they will just scoop past us. Then you get uh, uh, Finn, Rose, and DJ on the ship, with DJ selling them out to where, hey, they're going to go to this planet now. You get the tug-of-war between uh, Ray and Ben. And you get the biggest controversy of this movie, the Holdo Maneuver. So let's be honest, as I was saying before, if Poe had just not done any of the things he did in this movie, the uh, Holdo would still be alive. Yeah. Because the only reason she did the thing is because Finn and Rose left the ship to 
go get the hacker. Turns out the hacker turned him in. If otherwise Holdo's plan would have worked. And they would have survived another day. Yeah. But because DJ sold him out, uh, and the you know the ship gets evacuated, uh, they they don't have uh, Holdo has doesn't have much of a choice. She has one chance to make sure they get out of there, and launches into hyperspace through the ship. The uh, oh and oh people say oh why didn't they do that before? Because it's a sacrifice move. It only works once and you will die because you are literally going through a physical object. That's when you do hyperspace. You have to do a lot of calculations to make sure you don't run into a planet or an asteroid or anything because it will rip the ship apart and you will die. We learned this back in new and in a new hope because of a, Han and Chewie are doing their calculations before they go into hyperspace so they don't crash into anything. In this case, she specifically uh, makes sure she goes straight through the ship. Um, but not before a incredibly touching goodbye with Leia. Yeah. The thing is, though, is I like the moment that Poe realizes that she is about to sacrifice herself thankfully poe has that that moment of like okay mad respect because you know uh you're the one that got her killed so you better be lighting a candle for her every life day or whatever yeah frankly holdo does no wrong at any point in this film she is one of my favorite characters in the entire star wars franchise Holdo is just the best. And this maneuver is so badass. It's like uh, the old uh, Daffy Duck cartoon. There's only one problem with it. I can only do it once. (laughs) That's terrific, Daffy. They loved it. They want more. I know, I know. But I can only do it once. It gives... What is less left of the fleet as they're getting picked off, uh, time to get down to crate. It saves Finn and Rose from execution, execution yeah. by Phasma. Although, like, oh man, Phasma is so badass. I Phasma is criminally underused in this whole trilogy. Yeah, Gwendolyn Christie is so amazing, and just you only see her eye. <laughs> yeah, which Gwendolyn Christie also understood the assignment. Uh, Phasma is amazing, but I would watch an entire like Captain Phasma series. I mean, they there is a comic book series of of her life pre this moment. I had heard that they had planned to have her survive and have her be in the next film, but they just didn't do it. Thanks, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Um, well, she she will be in Sandman, so. Yeah. The. But that's also the. It does give Finn one of the great the great ending lines. You'll be nothing. You're nothing but yeah. You're nothing but scum. Yeah, rebel scum. Yeah, just that's and such a good line. 
that's the that's the completion of Finn's character arc, going from guy who was willing to desert the resistance because he had a crush to no, I'm gonna f- stay and fight for these people. Especially and Phasma gets that uh, Disney villain death with the fall. That's why they said they could have brought her back because you never actually see a uh, body. She could have survived, probably half cyborg or something, but you know. Yeah, but I, I do like that that Disney villain fall though. Yeah. But I um I like then that we get the the final stand on crate. It's such a beautiful setting with the salt flats and everything. And the I, white salt turning into red salt as you go over it. Yeah. Um, it makes for a beautiful cinematography. Plus, you can get the effect of blood and still keep a PG rating. <laughs> but the fight scene, especially, uh, you know, using the uh, the rust buckets, as, as Poe calls them, in this fight that they cannot win against the First Order's army and, and this giant and the, cannon. Yeah, that huge cannon, which I love the design of that thing. And Finn is is ready to sacrifice himself, and I love that Rose is having none of it. Again, that was another moment. People wanted Finn to have the heroic death. Even if it would have done nothing, it literally would not have affected the the battle at all. Because that little rust bucket was not going to take down that cannon. And I like Rose's statement of we're we're not going to get out of this by destroying what we hate. We're going to get out of it by saving what we love. And now Rosie got a crush. <laughs> I don't know. That little kiss she does is so chaste and without chemistry that I never read that as her having a crush. I read that as, even at the time, even in the theater, you know, first watching, I always read that as like, you know, some sort of affection, but not necessarily romantic affection. Mm. But I don't know. It just there's there's something to that that is so, again, so kind of just pure and chaste and quick and you know I don't know. I never particularly read it that way. If you do, that's fine. If that's your ship, you you ship on, okay? But to me, I never really read that way. But I, I like her statement and I like her her point. Someone someone who I follow um, for their political sentiments said that the reason that they do what they do politically is out of care for people. If you don't do it out of love, if you just do it out of anger... That if you win the fight, what comes after? How do you sustain that once you've won the battle? Well, then you just have to find something else to be angry at, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the point of the rebellion, I think, is you have to be doing this from a place of love 
Because if the rebellion wins, what do you do after that? If you're doing it from a place of anger and hate, then you just become the second order. You just become the bad guys part two. And Rose recognizes that you can't be fighting from a place of hate. You have to be fighting because you love the people you're protecting instead of just hating the people you're fighting. So let's let's move on to this battle or this standoff of Luke Skywalker. Luke kind of, for lack of a better term, being the hero that everyone believes him to be. He shows up. The first, I mean, if you actually pay attention, you the first moment you see that Luke is looking somewhat younger in this when we first see him in, in on, on this planet and the fact that he has the blue lightsaber, the very same blue lightsaber that was just destroyed a few scenes earlier. Yeah. There's a lot of little hints that Luke isn't actually physically present on the planet, but I'm going to say that this is another one of Ryan Johnson understanding the fricking assignment, because if you want to talk about, Knowing the roots of Star Wars, this right here is the roots of Star Wars, because this is one of the best samurai showdowns in the history of Star Wars. I just love that we get, we get you know, Luke and um, we get uh, Ben ordering the fire onto the onto him and he just walks off, dusts himself off. Uh, that gift just it's going to be used forever. <laughs> Yeah, that little that little dust off of the shoulder. <laughs> but yeah, we get the, the the standoff between Ben and Luke. In which they never touch. Yeah. It is an entire dance in which they never touch. And and you're just thinking like Luke is just playing with him. But then, it's it's actually because he's not, you know, he's not there. Spoiler he's not there. Alert. He's not really there. And I love the line that Luke does there, like, if you strike me down in anger, I will be with you forever like your father is. Because that's a big plot point in this movie is that Ben thought by killing Han Solo that he would kill that part within himself. He would kill the the Solo in him. He would kill the Argana within him, the Skywalker within him. And all it did was split his soul. He didn't know where to go, what to do. Even if he, even now as just the supreme leader of the First Order, he's still not 100% focused on the mission, as it were. And now he believes if he strikes down Luke Skywalker, then that'll fix the problem. But he's saying, it won't. You strike me down, nothing's going to change. You'll still be this fractured person. Granted, Luke is not there. He is not physically there. But Ben doesn't hesitate to slide, to run at him, run his lightsaber through him, and then that doesn't fix anything. He's still just the same person he was before. I wish they had kept this up in the in the next movies by having Luke appear to Ben in a couple of times as a ghost, saying, "Hey, I'm still here. I told you I'd well, never leave you." They did do it with Han. So they yeah. did follow it up a little bit. I it was supposed to be Leia, but of yeah. course it couldn't be. Couldn't be, yeah. Um, sadly. Um, so they did 
get Harrison Ford to agree to come back, but um the the thing is is that again, understanding the assignment and understanding Star Wars, this is exactly what what happened, you know, and it it's between probably, Vader and Obi Wan, yeah. It's probably what gave Vader the strength. I mean, we never really get into it from Vader's perspective, but it may be what gave him the strength to turn. Mm. Is that, you know, he struck down Obi-Wan and we don't know, at least in the films, it's it was never explored from vader's perspective if obi-wan was just kind of there being like come on annie (laughs) you know you want to i i do like this moment because it's you know that that luke has accepted his role in all of this and you know how much he wants to make this up to ben for setting him down this path and for not having been a better uncle and a better mentor. Yeah. Better father figure. I mean, you know, this is his last act before his death. Mm -hmm. He has already made his peace with Leia. He's going to do what he can for Ben. He's going to do what he can for the Resistance. And the last vision that the Resistance see of Luke is this one man facing down the entire army of the First Order, which is exactly what he said. With his laser sword, yeah. Yeah. um... And that's enough to get that spark of hope going again. As we see it at the end, there's a bunch of kids playing around seeing Luke Skywalker facing down the first order maybe you know that's what the people need that glimmer of hope that one person was brave enough to face down the first order and he even said you know this isn't the end i will not be the last and you will fall Uh, yeah it's just this scene is so affecting to me and it's everything at least to me, I, I don't I don't know about everybody else, but to me it is everything that I want Luke Skywalker to be calm and collected and self-sacrificing and at one with the force and you know it just is kind of fascinating and again i think i think ryan johnson totally could totally nailed the assignment here yeah and so did mark hamill oh yeah you cannot give it up enough for mark hamill in my opinion i think it's how they killed off luke skywalker that get people upset you know that luke wasn't like i said luke was not the hero that they read in the books the one that took down luke with two u's and all that the one that married mara jade and all that and just was this crotchety old man he eventually gets you know 
And the fact that he couldn't, didn't even go there physically, that he used the force to project himself and then died that way. I just want to say that I, I loved this death for him because who wouldn't want to, you know, everybody talks about, well, when I die, I want to go at a old age, calmly in my bed, peacefully in my sleep or whatever. Isn't that the Jedi version of that? Yeah. I mean, you just want to kind of calmly give yourself to the Force at the end of your life. like. Although there are some who want to go down in that blaze of glory. Well, yeah, but I don't... I never saw Luke Skywalker as that sort of guy. Even in the original films, I, I think that Luke always wanted to be... You know, he... As a young kid, he wanted adventure, but I think by the end of that, he just wanted family and and calmness and, you know. So I think that's all we can say about Star Wars The Last Jedi. So, Kiki, does Star Wars The Last Jedi have the magic? The Force is all the way with this one. I, I honestly... This may be my favorite Star Wars film. I mean, I, it's it's a re- it's a really close. Uh, it depends on the day whether or not it's this one or Empire for me. I'm going to say that this is the best movie of the sequel trilogy. Oh, with, by far the best movie of the sequel trilogy. But yeah, definitely magic. This definitely does have the magic. If it's not your cup of tea, I'm sorry, but from my perspective, this is a really great movie, and it was the change that Star Wars needed, and I feel really, really bad that because of some toxic fanboys on the internet, that they threw all the progression of this movie out the window. Haters out an airlock, as far as I'm concerned. This this movie absolutely rocks. I love every second of it. I think yeah, that's all we can say on that. Let's let's move on to next week. We are uh, even though the, the, the spooky season has passed, we have uh, one more that we're gonna backtrack to. Uh, our request from our friend Devo Spice, Mister Boogity, which I have not seen in a long time. And Kiki says you have never seen this. I have not. Yeah. It's going to be a very unique episode next week based off Mr. Boogity. So uh, come back next week for Mr. Boogity, and we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And, of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.